Hey, welcome to Movement Basics with Vaughn and Matt. I'm your host, Matt, and our other host, Vaughn. And today we're going to talk about debunking 11 exercise myths. And I'm a really big fan of a movie where they talk about going to 11. And if you know what that movie is, you know where my mind is right now. So we're both in the industry of, or let's say, helping people trying to shift into the idea that movement is more than just making muscles looser, making muscles tighter, lifting and moving a lot of weight. But we want to know that people out there are also like us where we're taking an integrated approach. So for those of you that are new to our podcast last time, Vaughn, can you give us a little bit of recap of what we did last time? Yeah, we basically covered uh, where we're coming from, uh, what we do in and I do uh, personal training uh, with nutrition for um, <laughs> for um, uh, clients uh, in pain uh, and getting out of pain, uh, coming out of rehab, uh, looking to basically just get fit uh, and feel better. Uh, mostly I work with females, uh, a little bit older, uh, and they are looking to um, just make sure they have a good self-care themselves yeah I work with pretty much anybody if you're in pain people find me eventually um, so we want to show you kind of what works what doesn't work what really works great and maybe what realistic expectations for when people want to exercise when they want to move and even if they get treatments of some sort uh, what's realistic I mean there's because there's a lot of things that are out there and there's a lot of junk out there and we're not going to name any names but if you've seen it at two o'clock in the morning, there's a really good chance that somebody's making money off of it and it's not necessarily in your best interest. But some of those, I bought one of those products and I actually, I did, I lost a bunch of weight and I helped, it helped me move better years ago. But you know, you see a ton of those same products now that they're in the market where you buy used equipment. So we wanna make people, uh, movement accessible for people. And uh, so today we're gonna debunk 11 uh, exercise myths. So, but we, I really think that uh, we both feel that people who can express their movement without it being painful is kind of a top priority. So let's kind of get into what are the 11 that we picked. And the first one is pretty much a hard hitter. So Vaughn, is stretching good? That's a loaded question, Matt. Um, and That's why we picked it number one. <laughs> right. So I think you commonly hear that you know you should stretch as part of your warm-up and there's just really very limited evidence to show that it helps uh, with anything um, there is some evidence to show that it, it does seem to help a little bit um, in high intensity activities like sprinting uh, it can it can help to reduce your in rate of injuries a little bit but I think most people stretch um, you know their their hips or their shoulders because that's what everyone else is doing and they've seen it done or they grew up doing that um, and basically what you want to do though is is to make sure that you're not stretching into pain uh, there's no pain in that uh, and that um, you're not just really flexible if you're already very flexible um, actually dynamic stretching would be much better for you to two where you're moving your joints a little bit quickly through a full range of motion. Is that like uh, ballistic movements or how would you really define that? Uh, 
So if you think of just if you're standing up uh, and you're you you do a kick out in front of you and then you swing your leg back uh, quickly and you're kind of keeping your leg uh, mostly straight but you're going through a full range of motion uh, that would be an example of uh, some dynamic stretching and dynamic stretching actually is is proven and, and shown in the research consistently to help people uh, warm up better uh, gain um, better range of motion with stability and, and it's a good thing. So the static stretching where you're just kind of holding, you know, you sit down, you put your leg out in front of you, you touch your um, your hands to your toes and you're just holding that, that often is, is going to be a little dangerous for certain people and can kind of deactivate um, the muscles that we're focusing on. But dynamic stretching just does it does the opposite, and it's gonna it's gonna um, basically help you. So I think stretching can be good. Uh, don't get me wrong, stretching I think can be a great part of a warm up. Um, but we want to think in terms of dynamic stretching, and then some. If you if you have really if you're legitimately tight, if you know that you're tight in some areas, um, go after it. Stretch it. Even static stretching before a workout I, I think is fine. All right. So the leg ex, uh, what you said about that, it kind of made me think of a pendulum. Swinging back and forth. Is that a pretty good example? Yep. Okay. So when is stretching the absolute worst? Is it really just when you're stretching into pain? Or what about people who are in a lot of pain and they get up in the morning, they don't know that the stretching is causing them pain. Like how can a person figure that out? Yeah, well, stretching by itself can be can give you relief. It's sort of like saying, okay, um, I'm going to um, – basically put a hot, really hot towel on my hand and I'm going to take it away and feels kind of good when you take it away, doesn't it? That's the exact same phenomena that stretching can have on you. So a lot of times in the gym, um, I'll see people come in. They're like, uh, yeah, my, my, my hamstrings have been strained. They feel really tight and I'm stretching them. It feels good. And when I check them out, often they'll have, um, they're actually, their hamstring can, may even be strained because it's on stretch already. So unfortunately what these individuals are perceiving is that, oh, I'm going to stretch it where it's kind of irritating. But then when I stop though, it kind of feels good because that's what we're supposed to feel when something is, is better than worse. So the other part, like you mentioned with like back pain, is that's a great example where often um, individuals are making the ligaments and the stability um, components of their back uh, loose and unstable. And um, certain muscles, we actually want to shorten. Certain ligaments, we want them shortened. There's some things that you should not stretch good example is that hamstring again that's already lengthened and too loose we want to shorten that hamstring so the best thing you could do for that is to simply not stretch it get into a better alignment which I won't go into now um, but so stretching absolutely it can be a great thing but some things you know especially if it's irritated uh, listen to your body um, if you're having pain in the area and you've stretched it for a little bit and it's not doing anything um, and I'm talking pretty much the pain is gone away, you have a non-stretching problem. And it's time to go figure out what that is. All right. So I saw a video on your website. And tell everybody what your website is real quick. Vongelette.com. Okay. So on Vongelette.com, 
you went over a lot of different aspects of this thing called anterior pelvic tilt. So first of all, for people who really don't know what is what is anterior pelvic tilt, what is the difference between that and a posterior pelvic tilt, or what does pelvic tilting really mean? So kind of get into that, because then I want to get into myth number two. Great. So anterior pelvic tilt simply means like if you're standing up, your hips or your pelvis is going to rotate forward whereby your butt really sticks out and there's a big arch in your low back area. So right? does, it, does that kind of look like a woman who's wearing high heels? <laughs> I mean, high heels induce anterior pelvic tilt. I remember you talking about that before. Okay. So the way that it was explained to me was pretty simple. So if you are holding like a fishbowl, right, and you and the water's filled to pretty close to the top, and if you move it where the water's move, uh, dumping in front of you, that would be an anterior pelvic tilt. If you dump the water on yourself, it's a posterior pelvic tilt. And both ways, neither are, are very happy. And depending on the exercise you do, they can cause a really big deal. So let's talk about myth number two. And a lot of people don't put alignment in with mobility and stability training, but it's kind of something we founded our base idea on, which is you need all three. No doubt about it. Alignment is probably the missing component. And basically what it is is just, you know, if I have a client, new client that comes in, I just want to see how they stand. I want to see how they sit. And unfortunately right now because of phones and and uh, televisions and the way our furniture is designed is most people end up now uh, having forward head posture, which is by far the most common postural or alignment problem that I see uh, followed by probably anterior pelvic tilt. And I'm naming the big ones. Um, and... Um, uh, also, I, I would probably note in there too uh, uh, some thoracic ky kyphosis, which basically means you're you're just kind of hunched over a little bit, and those those are probably the biggest major ones that are going to affect your your whole system okay. uh, that I see. So Quasimodo would be like from the Hunchback Notre Dame. That would be your kyphosis. That is so, what we are turning into now. That's so right. what character would be lordosis? What is that? Is that just the high heels, or you got a better example? Yeah, lordosis would be, if you ever see any uh, Instagram photos where they just balloon up the butt, <laughs> and like it, it just, it's impossible, right? There's no way this woman has a butt like that, and you know, unless she's had butt implants, which would be outrageous anyways to have a butt that big, uh, and then her low back is curved, and it just really looks like something is, some monster is going to come come out of her butt. Okay. Right? So that's probably the best example that I see and is kind of laughable. Okay. So myth number two, really alignment, mobility, and stability training essentially means that you can't lift a lot of weight, a lot of weight or move a lot of weight. And why is that like a big deal that that's not true? So when you have your alignment and it's not, um, uh, it's not, um, properly, uh, I will say just neutral, for example, and and I don't really see it very much, uh, neutral posture anymore uh, with anybody that comes in, um, you are going to be able to certainly lift within your limitations and within your compensations. 
Um, however, though, uh, those things will be limiting factors for you, like forward head posture uh, and, and thoracic kyphosis, um, because these segments um, are just going to basically cause, they're already causing stress on your system. So loading it up, it means it's going to cause even more stress. So is loading, like wh what is a good definition for, for load? Like how does somebody who doesn't know anything about exercise, what does that actually mean? Load is basically the uh, um, force, and I would say it, it would be a, a downward uh, force uh, with gravity. So if, I'll give you a good example. If someone has forward head posture, the more forward their head posture is or severe their forward head posture is, the more they will need to, the more force there is on there, the more load there is on there, and the more they need to fight to keep their head upright into that same forward head posture position. So what I see people doing uh, is the biggest two things where you're loading your spine, it's sitting or standing for the most part. I mean, you, you don't load your spine when you're on all fours because your spine is parallel to the ground and it doesn't require your body to fight to hold yourself upright. That just requires all four of your limbs to kind of take control of your body more than anything else. So, okay, so let's get to number three. So myth number three, swimming is better for you as an activity because there's less gravity. And before we get into this, it is something that I do recommend for a lot of people. And the reason I recommend it is the people who tend to have a really good back kick when they run tend to also have a really good swimming, um, well, I guess, swimming kick. And I, I can't, I'm not a swimming coach, I can't say that for sure, but I've just found that the people who can extend their legs behind them with a really good intermittent frequency and it's really efficient, they don't have as much low back pain. And how many billions of dollars do we spend a year on low back pain in this country? It's, it's excessive. So why exactly would you say that swimming is better for you because there's less gravity? First of all, like why is there less gravity in the pool? Yeah, so the water, um, being in water uh, is going to allow you to um, essentially uh, float um, because um, the way human beings are mostly water. Uh, so we're basically going to, it takes uh, gravity out of the equation um, without necessarily getting too, too much into physics of it. Um, gravity's gr or swimming is really good for people who are coming out of uh, rehab uh, that have had problems uh, walking and they're learning how to to walk again um, and even for even for uh, ankles uh, knees hips uh, even for shoulders I think swimming uh, absolutely it, it has a has a great uh, role to play but uh, swimming is certainly not the be-all end-all um, because a lot of the females that I see uh, are I mean, um, naturally at going to be at risk for osteoporosis as they get older, uh, as they get past uh, menopausal age. Uh, and swimming, um, because it takes gravity away from those um, women, will it can um, um, allow osteoporosis then to set in easier because we simply need gravity. And uh, a great way um, to lessen your chances um, to for osteoporosis, uh, and and not just osteoporosis, but falling or breaking a bone, uh, is by doing uh, strength training or something impactful 
uh, outside uh, of swimming. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying give up your swimming. Swimming is great. Um, and I think it also serves as a really good um, uh, relaxation um, meditation. type of exercise, meditative kind of exercise. So I think it's great. But we have to, we have to, you know, for the populations that I see, I always say, you, look, we, you got to be doing something on land as well. It's, it's going to help you in the long term. Cool. All right. Uh, next one. Walking is good enough. So when we talk about exercise and we're, well, there's a lot of people out there who they haven't moved in 20 years other than from their car to, to the, well, let's say they don't even move out of their car. They just go from their, their house to their car, from their car to their work, their work to go get, you know, lunch or whatever. And they're still sitting and everything is basically sitting these days. So when people are walking and I, I recommend a lot of people, look, you got to get up from your desk every once in a while. You got to walk a couple feet. You got to do a couple things. But there's studies out there that suggest that just walking by itself isn't helping anybody. So, uh, what exactly is it that makes walking itself not good enough? When people walk a lot, they tend to get more efficient at it. And if you carry less body weight, you're going to be able to even be more efficient, such that your heart rate doesn't need to get as high. So I have clients that when they walk, I will measure their heart rate and I can see that for some of them, it's not even going to break 100, uh, even that when they're walking pretty fast. Um, it's not to say that walking um, can't be used as a good exercise. Um, if you were to walk up hills and walk really vigorously, you could make it pretty tiring. But the key thing with the walking is going to be uh, if you're going to use it as exercise, you need to be challenged and you need to make sure that heart rate, I would say as a general rule, um, you know, if, to, to give something super general um, would be to, you got to make sure your heart rate is probably above 110, 115 uh, for it to be considered vigorous. Uh, and that's going to be uh, a way for you to make sure that this, this will count as exercise. Uh, if you're, um, if you're carrying a lot of weight, um, if you're, you know, 300 pounds uh, plus. Uh, walking is, is going to be, uh, can be uh, really good for you, uh, but you also need to watch out for the impact of your joints. And I've known a lot of people that all they did was walk. They still sustain an injury from walking. So you need to make sure that um, you feel good, you're getting a good workout, you're probably using some hills, challenge yourself when you walk. Now, if you're just going on a walk just to, to get in some nature, that's fantastic too. You, there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't, you can't really count on as your exercise unless it's vigorous enough. So let's, we'll throw out the number 115. You got to get to beginning to like 115. Okay. So in order to get to 115, uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about intervals. Is that kind of what you're talking about or is there a different way? Yeah, I intervals is is I think a it's a fun way. It's it changes it up. It's not as monotonous. Uh, you could use a hill where you walk up a hill uh, and then you walk down for your rest period, which I think would be uh, really um, really impactful uh, towards those people who maybe carrying extra weight. They don't want to run, and walking is a fantastic. Uh, alternative to running. Uh, some people just don't like running, anyways, um, and you shouldn't have to run. 
Um, so I will use, for example, with clients, for some of them when they first begin, even the ones that are, have a normal BMI, is I will have them incline walk. The other reason I really like the incline or hill walking is because of this. It challenges your hamstrings and your glutes way more than walking on flat ground. So going up is really powerful for offsetting a lot of the sitting that we do and the sitting can cause that anterior pelvic tilt. So incline walking, I love it. Incline running, I love it. If you if you do it and you enjoy it, keep it up. Okay. So uh, real quick, what's your website again? Vongelet.com. Okay, say it one more time. Vongelet.com. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Vongelet.com. All right, so um, one of the other things, we went from walking, let's talk about running. All right, how many injuries have you seen with your people and your population just from running? Do you even have a percentage? Because it's high, right? <clears throat> right. If I just had to guess how many people that I see, you know, granted, like, I, I'm a little biased um, because a lot of people who I see are in pain, but how many of them exhibit that pain when they're running? A pretty large uh, majority uh, of them. And the reason why is because outside of running, what are we doing? We're, we're sitting down um, and we're, uh, we're, we're, we're not sitting in a great posture. So there is this idea that, you know, I, you know, running is, is a good thing. We're designed to do it. Uh, and I think right now, uh, yes and no. Running is great. If, he, if you run right now and you don't have any pain, you haven't had any pain, um, don't stop. <laughs> Keep doing it. Um, chances are you probably really enjoy it. Um, that's awesome. Um, uh, but if, uh, let's say after you run and you, um, by the third mile, you're just really feeling it in your shin or your heel, um, you definitely have some problems that are not just caused by the running. Um, you need, uh, to get assessed and, um, from, from, a from basically a, a postural standpoint, uh, and you need your running form checked as well, because that um, may be contributing. Uh, it may be the only factor, but it's doubtful. Um, you you definitely need to make sure that uh, that running uh, feels good and always feels good. Um, but granted, there are those people they don't train for a marathon. They go out and run it, and they it just kills them. Some literally, but um, you know. <laughs> You know, that's obviously a volume problem, you know, but but for those others that do experience some pain, it's you got to look past the running, though. All right. Well, if you want to see something really funny about running, there's an episode of How I Met Your Mother where Barney, um, he's never run a marathon in his life. And he goes, uh, he finds out one of his friends is going to run a marathon. He's like, ah, I could do that. And they say, you can't just run a marathon. He's like, I can do it. He runs a marathon. And then they're like, how is that possible? He goes on the subway and he sits down and this woman approaches him and he looks down at his legs and he realizes he can't move. <laughs> and he just looks at her and says, I'm sorry, I can't move. And person after person comes up to him, a pregnant woman and a bunch of other people. And he just looks out, I'm sorry, I can't move. So sometimes when you talk about running, it's, it's more the level that what you run at. If you're not used to doing an activity and you say, I'm going to go crazy. I'm just going to run a marathon. It, you might be able to do it, but it might not be good for you. So running is good for you is not uh, not exactly 
uh, a good thing for everybody. And when I say you and when we say you, we really mean like everybody because no one activity is good for everybody. No technique is good for everybody. Nothing works for everybody. So you kind of have to figure out, well, for yourself, is this good for me? And if you don't know, sometimes you do have to try just to see if it's good for you. And when I say try, I think Vaughn would agree that, you know, sometimes that means more than five minutes. And sometimes it means more than five times. Sometimes it means maybe you have to try it for a month. So it's not good for everybody. Um, but let's talk about this other thing. And um, what's your website again? Vongelet.com. So what, um, what did you tell me or what did I see on your website about six packs? About yeah, a six so pack abs. What I wrote is are six pack abs always a good thing? Okay, so are they always a good thing? Well, I think a lot of people have this picture in their mind like, ooh, I'm going to work out, I'm going to get a six-pack. But what if you look like you're in your second trimester? And some people that I know who are males, they look like they're in their second or third trimester. And uh, I think it's proven science that we all have a six-pack. It's just whether or not you can see it or not, right? Exactly. So, That's very um, true. So do six-packs – can you get those just by doing sit-ups or crunches or any of that stuff? You know, you could. Uh, if you diet down hard enough, you will see uh, a a six-pack, although I think a lot of people who carry a significant amount of muscle mass um, will laugh at you uh, and will laugh at the fact that you're saying that you have a six-pack. Um, but there is this perception that, um, you know, for guys and, and girls now too that – uh, if you just do enough sit-ups, if you just do enough ab work, that you're going to get that six-pack. And that is going to be impossible without a few conditions being met. Uh, one is that your body fat levels need to get low enough um, by um, having adequate nutrition and an adequate exercise and really an adequate lifestyle. Right. So dieting doesn't mean like diet like a crash diet or a fad diet. It just means change how you eat maybe. Uh, yeah, and really, you know, we'll we'll get to nutrition later on, but um, nutrition is a whole set of skills uh, that I would um, I would attribute to is is almost as specialized as being uh, in in the military, and uh, you know, can you jump out of an airplane? Do you know how to? Do you know how to? Um, do what the drill know, sergeant just your, says. <laughs> well, yeah, open your pack. Can you? Um, can you hit a target uh, at 500 yards away? Do you have these specific skills in order uh, to um, <clears throat> in order to achieve a specific goal? And a six pack is very specific. Um, and in my experience, people often just don't have the skills within their lifestyle uh, to do that. And it's, so it's more of a question of I think often of of nutrition. And then when the exercise part comes in, it's also a question of uh, yeah, even if you can get a six pack, how are you moving with that? Um, are you are you out of pain with that? I've certainly met um, um, plenty of younger guys that um, that uh, get a six pack from their training, but they they still have pain too. So um, you know the the six pack abs are kind of this mythological uh, creature like mark. that yeah it, that uh, once you hit it, you got it. And trust me, you don't. You don't. It doesn't. It's not significant of anything, really, 
other than you can you can maybe diet down hard enough um, if you if you kind of cheated it, which some people can uh, just by going on a crash diet, um, or or by um, you know um, they have a movie set or something like that. They, they are a, a scene that they need to shoot for, so they really diet down. Um, okay, um, for that. So I there are actors in in Hollywood where when you actually see what their workouts are, these people are working out five six hours a day. Yeah, and also they're eating a lot of food. Like they're eating two and three times what you would normally eat in a day because their exercise routine is so vigorous. The guy that plays Thor, like just look up what that guy did for a workout and what he had to eat. Uh, the Rock, look up what his actual diet is. It's insane, but it matches what his caloric needs are for his exercises and the fact that he's six foot seven kind of makes a difference i mean I, I saw a thing where this guy who's five foot seven did the exact same thing and after about five meals that day he just threw up and he was doing it throughout his work day and everybody at his office knew and you know the thing he said was well i'm 100 pounds lighter i'm a foot shorter and i did about three quarters of what the rock could do. But what do you expect? I'm a foot shorter and weigh a hundred pounds less. So, and he wasn't doing the same workout, but he was trying, but you know, that's kind of not exactly a realistic thing for most people to do. So you can't do monkey see monkey do when it comes to what are other people doing? Well, that guy over there, well, he's got a six pack and he's benching 300 pounds. Hey, I want that. That's not realistic for everybody. So that kind of brings me to the next one, which is one of my favorite things to just dislike. Uh, and I'll give you the perspective of a massage therapist, okay? So I happen to be one. <laughs> but no pain, no gain, right? When somebody comes to see me and they're expecting a deep tissue massage, the first thing that people think in their head is I either like it or I don't like it. And the people that don't like it most of the time have had a bad experience where the person who was working on them, it felt like they were trying to rip their body apart. It felt like they were trying to get into a fight with them. And I used to explain it to people where – you know what, if it feels like I'm trying to throw you through every wall in this room multiple times, that's probably what it's going to feel like at the end. Not a happy thing. So if I'm trying to take my elbows or my thumbs and push really hard, well, no pain, no gain, right? It must be good for me because the person who's giving the massage must know what they're doing. And I think the same thing happens in the workout world where, hey, that guy's pushing 300 pounds. But you may not notice that that guy also is flaring his neck or he's doing something with his shoulders that are weird or... You know, they're doing a bicep curl and they're also like jacking up their shoulder at the same time. So from a workout perspective, what else can people kind of see for themselves that no pain, no gain is a very bad idea? Yeah. So typically, if you have any pain lifting, you'll find that it's going to limit your performance. And I think like the traditional idea is like a football coach, just, you know, just kicking his players basically to, to fight through the pain. And certainly there is nothing wrong with fighting through lactic acid pain um however joint pain uh or a muscle a muscular strain is (laughs) muscular (laughs) uh, strain is is going to get worse if you keep doing the same movement that causes that pain in the first place so i think it's uh, I've, I find uh, the industry is changing. Uh, coaching is is changing. Football is changing. Like now, they I think you'll find that um, um, apart from the NFL, it's pretty standard for people to okay, you have some pain. Uh, we're gonna look into that. Uh, the NFL is still a place where you got some pain. Oh, okay. Well, how much do you need? 
Well, it's, you, I you, think, you know, do you need like, uh, do you need two, three of the, the full milligram Vicodins or, you know, like, right? It's, uh, you yeah, know. Yeah, because these are assets. <laughs> these are million dollar assets. <laughs> these uh, guys. Multi-million dollar assets that they need to be on the field for entertainment. Oh, yeah. It's it's performance in their contracts essentially stipulates it. But everyone knows that, uh, you know, in the in the NFL, no pain, no gain. That's certainly true. Um, it's kind of a macho no thing, pain, I think, sometimes. No getting paid. Yeah, you know that's that's what it comes down to, and yeah. But the other sports are, are I think, very different now. Uh, not not as much as you would think. I mean, I, one thing I know about athletes at elite at levels are none of them want to be off the field. They all want to be on the field. So if they got to play through a little bit of pain, they might just go. You know what? I'm not going to tell my coach that I'm in pain today. I'm and everyone. It's clear to everyone when somebody's really injured, but. The player just doesn't want to get off the field because they don't want to get their spot taken by somebody else. Yeah. Well, when it comes to like, yeah, when it comes to the professional ranks, um, you know, baseball is a good example where it's such a, no one's getting hit except catcher once in a while, but because of just their movements and they're going through the same exact movements day in and day out, by the time you start racking up a hundred plus games, you know, 160 games. Uh, you you have some overuse injuries and, and pain going on, um, but the teams that typically uh, have their players be in the least amount of pain, winners. Yep. no doubt about it. You know, teams with the least amount on of people on the DL, they're pretty good. And but that's a that's an industry response because they realize that okay. Yeah, everybody's going to be in pain. So if we can at least like address it and reduce it and not come with this stupid attitude of like no pain, no gain, uh, we can actually keep our players playable. You know, they're going yeah, they're going to have pro- they're going to have problems. They're going to have pain. But you can still work with it though. You know, you can sure. still play though with it. Yeah. Yeah, there's things like uh shirts that they'll have the players sleep in that can monitor like a Fitbit basically or something you'd wear on your on your wrist, like there is, like I said, these are million dollar or multi million dollar assets that if they're not on the field, their their product rating is going to go down. They're going to make less money, so all kinds of funny stuff. So, not funny, but um, let's talk about the next one. All right, lifting heavy bulks you up. All right, this is one that's really confusing for a lot of people because when you lift weight and it's really heavy, the traditional thought really is that well, if you do uh, shorter reps or shorter number of reps or you change the angle which you move like so if I'm doing a bicep curl if I just don't go up all the way I'm gonna move with a less range of motion these things give me bulkier so why, why is that not true lifting heavy weights does activate the type 2 muscle fibers basically that's just science talk for like your large muscle fibers um, if you are a woman which is 51 percent of the population <laughs> yeah which is kind of who i'm talking to with this myth you do not have sufficient testosterone to significantly increase your muscle mass to a level that a guy uh, even a guy who's um, uh, much older uh, can do typically uh, so therefore um, it's pretty cool because women can have different adaptations in that they will become neurally stronger. Basically what that means is that, well, the, the uh, you know, the, the body's got, you know, for, for this circumstance, we'll say two options to adapt, right? One is increase the, the, uh, the muscle. 
So for guys, that happens a lot, of, especially younger, they have the testosterone, and they get a bigger muscle. But often for ladies, though, what happens is that um, more of their available muscle is recruited to lift the weight. And typically when people first begin weight training, they're actually only recruiting about half of their muscle to lift the weight. And as you get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, it just incrementally goes up. So by the time you get to lifting very heavy weights, um, if you're a woman, you just don't have the testosterone to build um, big muscle, big muscle bulk. Uh, now, <laughs> you know, let's say you're in a bodybuilding competition, you are a woman. Well, a lot of them are going to get some some steroid help. Uh, they will take steroids uh, for that purpose. Um, or they just really will load up the volume and the weight and the food to get that mass. Um, but they're still they're going to have to work really hard to get um, what you know what a what a guy could achieve in a pretty short amount of time. So for you women, absolutely go lift the heavy weights as long as it's pain free and um, and you uh, are increasing and you enjoy it. Okay. So um, yeah, there's a lot, more than fifty percent of the population is women, and statistically speaking, I'd say um, it's just there's a lot of bogus things out there for women and. The one that I'm gonna say this one time, I don't think we're gonna really talk too much about it, but women shouldn't lift weights. And it's total BS. And there's a lot of women out there who, the old stereotype was that women do cardio, men do weights. Well, who lives long, longer? Well, women tend to live longer than men. So kind of the idea that women don't lift weights and that's why they live longer. I mean, I'm not sure there's a lot of that idea out there, but the idea that women shouldn't lift weights at all is just, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it's out there. And some people really believe that. And some women still, like I said, they, they believe what Vaughn said is that, you know, maybe if you lift too heavy, you're going to get bulky. Well, that's that's BS. And that's long gone. And so don't believe it. So let's talk about the next thing. All right. So cardio helps you lose more weight. And in order to do cardio, that actually means running or it means interval training in a lot of cases. So Vaughn, help us out here. Like, what is it about cardio that you can do that it really doesn't help you lose more weight, first of all? Yeah, so there's uh, a fair amount, not a huge amount, but it is a fair amount of studies now showing that for individuals that focused on cardio, uh, there's one I think it was like they did it five or six days a week, uh, and it was at least 30 minutes, I, I know. Uh, they lost on average two pounds more. In a year, I'm talking about. So That's nothing, overall, the right? total number of weight was only two pound difference. Right now, granted, this they did not focus on their nutrition. So cardio can can be extremely beneficial for weight loss, and it burns calories like crazy, and it burns more calories than strength training typically. Um, <clears throat> however, though, here's the thing with cardio: for whatever reason cardio adaptations in the brain cause your ceiling for your hunger to go up. So basically it's like this. You burn 500 calories running and what your body does, you don't notice it, is that you will start to eat more and you are going to think it's normal for you. The reality is it's not normal for you though. 
your body is automatically adapting very quickly and increasing your ceiling for how hungry you get and how full that you get. So you are going to be able to, um, so you, so you basically, you need to watch the nutrition if you're trying to use cardio to help you lose weight. Okay. So I, uh, was talking to a guy that, that I worked with and I told him that breathing is really important for when you move. And if you can't breathe, it's going to mess with how you can move. And he didn't believe me. So I, I made him do a bear crawl with, uh, for about 20 yards in front of him. And then I made him go backwards. And I said, if you can do this breathing well, it'll be pretty easy. But also if you can do this and not sweat, it means you're not working very hard. And I knew that it was going to kick his ass. And it did. He went forward and he took about, he did the 20 yards, but he did backwards um, just a couple feet. And going backwards is really hard for a lot of people in a bear crawl. And he quit. He's like, this is too hard. He was starting to sweat. It was just ridiculously hard. So there are things that you can consider cardio that they're just traditional exercises in a lot of way, and it's body weight or whatever. But, I mean, think about all the things that you see people do, and why are they doing that? Why are they doing this? So sometimes it's helpful to talk to somebody like, uh, who's that guy on, on the interweb? What's his name, Vaughn? What's your website? VaughnGillette.com. So if you, if you want to know from an expert in the industry about things like bear crawls or how could you – do things like cardio like how do you do cardio like what kind of exercises does that really mean when you're talking about not running and not swimming like what is that what is the, right. what are those exercises yeah cardiovascular uh, exercise you know all it means is that you can sustain a high heart rate um for a certain amount of time uh, and and you want to um you want to be able to do it pain-free. So typically what all my clients will do, um, I would say maybe at least half of them, uh, we're going to be doing individualized uh, circuit, cardio training. Uh, they're doing exercise. They're going to increase their heart rate. But we switch the exercise to target their weaknesses and to maintain or increase even their strengths uh, and or mobility limitations, stability limitations, uh, basically making sure their heart rate is, is really good, uh, but they're doing stuff which makes them healthier, which like Matt was saying too, one of the things that everybody's going to focus on when they start training is that breathing. Uh, and so we're just, you can tie in all the components together, lifting heavy weights, good mobility, alignment, stability, breathing with the cardio. It's all possible here. Um, you just need to make sure, though, that um, you're, um, you're seeing someone uh, that is progressing you uh, and that you're seeing your goals met. That's very critical that they listen to you. Okay. So we're talking about kind of compliance, and we could probably talk that in, about that in another podcast. But it is kind of important that when a professional tells you what your weakest link is and you don't listen to them i mean really you're probably setting yourself for self up for some sort of failure or just your expectations are really uh it's going to be hard I, I think um and the last one is older people shouldn't lift heavy weight and this to me it goes back to the same thing as women shouldn't lift weights and i, I think there are limitations to older people in lifting weight in general but if you have somebody who doesn't have a lot of arthritis and just doesn't have a lot of the things that people think of as an old person thing, uh, what exactly uh, are we talking about here? I mean, old people shouldn't lift weight, right? No? What do you think? All right. That's a great question. And you certainly want to make sure, though, that um, 
the person who whatever regardless of their age can start out mastering their body weight and can get in good a good enough alignment to be able to do body weight exercises so i had a client um well actually about an hour and a half ago right um and he is uh 34 years old uh we started uh he got up to uh safety bar squat um just started squatting never did any kind of squatting or any really heavy weights uh at all uh and he got up to uh safety bar squatting um maybe about 105 pounds um, but we're switching the direction a little bit because he also has to watch his ankles though too uh, he has a he, he has a screw in one of his ankles it's still in there from the surgery it's not coming out um, but we started the deadlift today and uh, Matt can you guess how we started that deadlift probably on the ground or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well we started it with a stick because the stick on his back will make sure that he's in proper alignment. Okay, so how does how does that actually happen? Like, how, how does a person put a stick on their back to do that? Yeah, so what you want to do is you can use, like, a broomstick, for example. You put the stick on your back, uh, and uh, you want to make sure you have three points of contact. Uh, basically, the top of your butt, middle of your back, and the back of your head. And what you want to do is minimize that space between your low back by putting your... Um, your thumb behind your low back, have that thumb touch the stick, uh, bring your low back to your thumb, right? And then basically just you can just kind of bend over trying to keep those three points of contact in place. And I, I will assure you that if you try this, um, keep it, you wanna keep your chin down though, make, make sure everything's in line, that uh, at least 75% of the people will, who are listening to this will not be able to perform um, 10 perfect reps uh, right now uh, with a broomstick on their back, either doing a squat or doing a deadlift. So mastering um, not just their body weight, but just mastering a neutral alignment is really critical before we start loading anything up. However, regardless of your age, if you're older and you can master that alignment, you are absolutely ready to add in some weight. I have a 65-year-old client. Uh, she's deadlifting um, 125 pounds with a really just great form. Um, but uh, it, it's, it takes work to build up to that. And you have to put in the alignment training, making sure you have uh, you know just good enough mobility and stability to, to do that at first. And heck, as you and I both know, standing is something that people earn. Like you, yeah. you just don't get to do exercise in standing when you when you train with me. If you look at my website, uh, anybody with anterior pelvic tilt, we go on the ground. I had to do the same thing. I had anterior pelvic tilt for a long time. I had to start my whole training from the ground only, and I had to earn my way into standing. And that might sound a little like too strict or rigid, but I can assure you that the clients that go through that, they get out of anterior pelvic tilt and out of any problems associated with that associated with that way faster than if I just start giving them the exercises that are trending or or fad, a fad right now. Okay, so one thing that could make it easier for people to put the back of their head correctly on the stick is if you see somebody slumping forward and you sit up straight and you draw your shoulders back to a neutral position, that just means that they're not too forward or not too far back. You're not trying to like uh, stick your chest out too far, things like that. 
But just imagine that your chin and your forehead are going backwards towards the stick at the same time. So if somebody was coming at you with a hot iron, you would recoil with your head. And that would be the easiest way to get your head back onto the stick. And a lot of people that I give them that as an example when they're laying on their back, it's really hard for a lot of people. I mean, how many people have this thing where they look like a scared turtle or they look like a giraffe neck? Like all those people, it's really hard because they have compromised breathing and some other things that kind of go into play with that. But it doesn't really matter how old you are. You can lift weight of some sort. I mean, if you're a child, I mean, we're lifting body weight. And I mean, who's the strongest person that you're ever going to meet in your life, uh, it's going to be you when you were probably three. And you may have seen videos on YouTube where uh, I, I saw this thing where these two two-year-olds were, uh, the dad's coming in at like two o'clock in the morning. These kids have crawled out of their cribs <laughs> onto the floor and they started pulling all the pillows off the table or, or off the bed. And, you know, twice during the night, the dad had to come in and fix everything, put the kids back in. And I'm sure that dad just hates more, hates nighttime because he knows he's never getting sleep because these kids are just crawling. So I'd say that's pretty much what we got today. I mean, if you want to, check us out on Facebook. We'd love to hear your feedback about different things. But this one, uh, just it's Movement Basics with Bond and Matt. Anything else? I think that's it. All right. Thanks for listening. Yep. Thank you.